0: Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are at episode 50, if you can believe that. I know technically we're actually on episode like 53 because of the three book reviews episodes, but I'm going to take it that we are at episode 50 of the main content. And partially to celebrate hitting that particular milestone, and also partly because it's nearly Christmas, I decided that instead of having a regular episode, I would read you one of my short stories that I wrote a while ago, which was actually inspired by folklore as my way of sort of thing. Thank you for being with me for this year, and let's hope that 2020 is a good one too. So this story is called Midnight Screams at Holborn, and I will explain the folklore at the end, so it doesn't sort of give anything away. So sit back, this will take longer than 15 minutes, so make sure that you're comfortable, that you've got all the bits and pieces that you need, and enjoy. A haunted tube station wasn't where most men might spend their Saturday night, but Simon Villiers didn't run with the crowd. At least, that's what he told himself as he sat on the bench by the stairs on the eastbound platform. It sounded much better than the actual explanation that he really needed the money. The evening news lay on the bench, the headline proclaiming the appointment of a new chancellor in Germany, a strange Austrian fellow with a mad stare. Simon moved back and forth in front of his photograph to see if the eyes followed him. After a few minutes, he leafed through the paper and found the same advertisement he had answered several days earlier. "'Do you believe in ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties and other things that go bump in the night? Dare you spend the evening in a haunted station on the London Underground?' Are you man enough to withstand the horrors of the Tube from dusk until dawn and survive to tell our readers about it? If your answer is yes, apply to our officers for the chance to win £30. The reward money had caught Simon's eye more than anything else. £30 would buy an engagement ring and leave plenty to put towards the exotic honeymoon money deserved. The dare seemed like an easy way to earn the money. He believed in ghosts, but found the idea that one wandered the British Museum Tube station just too far-fetched. The man of the evening news had given Simon a pamphlet before he descended into the station, waving for the assembled photographers. He examined it now. The emergency exit routes were printed on one side at the request of the station manager, while the other side bore tales of the ghost Simon should expect to see. He knew why, of course. The newspaper wanted to implant ideas about the ghost so that you would see it in every shadow, hear it in every sudden knock or tap. If you left before dawn, they wouldn't have to pay up and they'd get a ghost story into the bargain. "'That's not going to happen to me. Nope, not at all.' Simon cringed at the hollow sound of his voice as it echoed along the platform. Simon stood and jammed his hands into his pockets. He had the full run of the station, from the platforms up to the ticket halls, but he was under strict instructions to stay off the tracks. The station master had assured him that no trains would come through the station tonight and the cleaners had already been and gone, but Simon had no intention of going anywhere near the tracks. He was badly paid, not stupid.' With no particular route in mind, he strolled along the platform and headed up the stairs. He wanted to stretch his legs. He passed a battered green door, probably some sort of storage cupboard. Or was it? Simon remembered what Davy had said that morning when he told him about the bet. Davy had assured him there was a secret tunnel up to the British Museum itself from inside the station. What better place to hide a secret tunnel than somewhere mundane and nondescript like a cleaner store? Simon grabbed the handle and pulled, fully expecting it to be locked. Instead... The handle gave way and the door flew open. Mops and buckets clustered in the sudden pool of light. He appeared into the darkness and a black stain detached itself from the shadows at the back, reaching its arms towards him. He stumbled backwards and peppered the air with expletives as the figure pounced. "'Hello, darling!' She threw herself at him, arms outstretched. Her familiar voice shouldered his nerves and he sucked in a deep breath. "'Marnie, you scared the life out of me!' Simon's heart thudded as he folded his girlfriend into a hug. He gave her a squeeze More to ground himself than give her comfort. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I'd hide in there until everyone left, but then I lost track of time. I didn't realise how late it was until you came in. She pulled away and closed the cupboard door. What are you doing here? He had never told her where he was going that evening, just that he couldn't see her. She'd find out once the story made the papers, but by then he would hopefully be £30 better off and able to propose. Davy told me where to find you, and I couldn't believe you'd agree to do this without me, replied Marnie. What funny, the night in a haunted station. I'll kill him when I next see him. I'm supposed to do it alone. Don't be silly, Simon. You're far less likely to run away screaming if I'm here and when we make it to dawn, you can claim that money. Marnie gave him a meaningful stare and Simon was torn between pride and disappointment that she'd worked out his plan. How will you get back out without being seen? A girl has her ways, dear. Anyway, has anything happened and I miss anything good? Marnie looked around her as if a ghost might choose that exact moment to wander through a wall. Not yet. All quiet on the western front, as they say. Oh, that is a bother. Simon smiled. Even though Marnie wasn't supposed to be there, he was glad she was. I thought I might have a stroll around every hour or so, he said, leading her back to his bench. A satchel sat on the floor beside it. He'd packed a flask of coffee, some sandwiches and his copy of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Simon thought a futuristic novel might make him less likely to see ghosts everywhere. Ah, great minds think alike. Monny held open her own bag and Simon laughed when he saw the contents. Another flask of coffee, another package of sandwiches, no doubt ham and cheese, and another book, this time William Falconer's I lay dying. She'd also brought a pair of torches and something else, a board of some kind. What's that? asked Simon. I told Bella what I was doing and she said that it might be a good idea. You told Bella. No one is supposed to know you're here. Simon saw the prize money disappear in a puff of smoke. She's my sister, Simon. She won't tell anyone. Besides, she's not supposed to have this, or so we even. Monty pulled the board out of the bag and Simon whistled. He'd only seen pictures of them, but there was no mistaking the neat rows of letters or the words yes and no written in four gothic script in the corners. A wager board, really? he asked. If there is a spirit down here, then we can find out why she's here or what she wants. She must get dreadfully lonely. I know I would. Simon grimaced. He didn't mind spending the night in a supposedly haunted station, but he drew the line at wasting time on a seance. His friends told stories about terrible things that had happened after using the boards, though they'd only ever heard of them through a friend. Simon dismissed it all as nonsense. He'd been to a seance before the previous year, and the board had spouted mostly rubbish. The only question it got right was answering what year it was and even then Simon was convinced Davy had pushed the planchette himself. Marnie put the board on the bench beside her and then unscrewed the lid off her flask to pour herself a cup of coffee. Simon fished out his own flask and did the same. Here's a night of ghost hunting. Marnie held up her cup. Simon knocked his cup against hers, toasting the evening with coffee. He drank quickly, wrapping his fingers around the cup to steady his hands. He'd never spent a whole night with Marnie before. What would people say if they found out she was down here with him? What did anyone tell you about the ghosts, she asked after she drained her cup. I was given this, replied Simon, handing over the pamphlet, but everyone just focuses on the Egyptian princess. How many ghosts are there? Mostly people just talk about the princess, but I've heard all sorts of stories. Most stations have at least one ghost. Wouldn't it be funny if they walk the tunnels at night and pop up in each other's stamping grounds? I suppose they must get dreadfully bored otherwise, wouldn't you? Marnie pouted. The pamphlet says you can hear the screams of the princess all the way down the tunnel at Holborn, said Simon. Is that so? Marnie glanced at the pamphlet. I haven't heard anything, and I use Holborn a lot. Mind, I haven't heard anything here either. They passed the next half hour telling each other ghost stories as they wandered around the station. Marnie was a treasure trove of tall tales gleaned from evenings with the girls, while Simon relied on the snippets he could remember of the stories his grandfather had told. There was only one story he didn't tell her, about that fateful October night in 1917 when his grandfather had answered the door to find his son, Simon's father, on the doorstep. He wouldn't come in, but smiled at him and disappeared right in front of his grandfather's eyes. Simon was only nine then and in bed at the time, but he understood well enough when the letter of condolence arrived a week later. "'Simon, darling, I'm awfully bored!' Marnie sat on the bench, kicking her shoes against the tiled floor. "'I'm sorry, I don't know what else to do. We could have a picnic!' I'm not really hungry yet. We've both got books. I'm not really in the mood to read. Simon was about to reply that he could suggest other things for them to do, but that he wasn't sure they were proper activities for a deserted tube station when Marnie picked up the Ouija board. Come on, old boy, let's give it a go. Old boy, I'm only a month older than you. Simon stuck out his tongue. Marnie waggled the board at him and Simon rolled his eyes. He had no real reason not to, and even if nothing happened, at least it might while away another half hour. Marnie slid off the bench to sit on the floor, arranging her legs beneath her and set the board on the bench. She moved the planchette to the centre and placed the tips of her middle fingers on its edge. Come along, darling, you should do the same. I'm sure you need more than two, dear, said Simon, sitting on the floor beside her. Oh, stop being such a spoilsport, it'll be fine, said Marnie. Simon settled his middle fingers lightly on the planchette, copying Marnie's pose. She waited a few moments for silence to descend and spoke. "'Oh, Egyptian princess, can you hear us?' Simon peered around him, torn between wanting nothing to happen and wanting to see an Egyptian princess walk through the wall towards him. "'Spirit, we only want to speak to you. We mean you no harm.' Still no response. Marnie tried for ten more minutes, alternating between pleas for an audience and trying to cajole the elusive princess into an appearance. Simon's legs fell asleep, and he shifted several times in an attempt to will life back into them. "'Marnie, I don't think this is going to work.' I don't understand why nothing is happening. I've done everything properly. Maybe she just doesn't want to talk to us, love. Marnie took her hands off the board and slumped back. She pouted at the unmoving planchette, then pushed herself to her feet. Aren't you supposed to close the board first? asked Simon, a dim recollection of the last seance rattling around his memory. I don't think you have to if no one speaks to you. Marnie wandered across to the platform edge. Simon stood up and followed her. So what do we do now? Let's have that picnic you mentioned earlier. They turned back to the bench and Marnie gasped. The planchette now indicated, hello. Did you do that, Simon? No, it was on the eye at the top when I got up. Are you sure? Yes, positive. The planchette slid up the board, coming to rest on yes. Simon could see the whites of Marnie's eyes and his own mouth hung open as they watched the planchette trace out a message on the board. It spelled, you should not be here. Why not, spirit? asked Marnie. Not safe, replied the board. "'Who are you?' The planchette moved to goodbye. "'Are you still there?' asked Marnie. "'Nothing.' Simon tried to stifle the shudder, itching to up down his back. "'Who was that?' asked Marnie. "'I have no idea, dear, but I don't like that. Why isn't it safe?' Marnie sat on the floor and stared at the planchette for several moments, but all signs of life had left the board. Simon jammed his hands in his pockets and paced beside the bench. "'Why would an Egyptian princess speak English?' Was that her, do you think? Well, who else could it be? Before Simon could answer, the planchette flew off the board, skittering across the floor and bouncing on the platform to land in between the rails. Marnie pushed herself away from the bench. Simon rushed to her side and put his arm around her shoulders as the light snapped off. Simon, what's going on? Marnie's shoulders trembled. I don't know. Never mind, though, love. Maybe they just forgot I was here and they've turned the lights off for the night. Simon tried to sound sure, but his words sounded hollow. He looked around but he couldn't tell if his eyes were open or closed. The torches were in Marnie's bag but where was that? Was it near the bench? A rumble moved towards him in the dark and Marnie squealed. It sounded like an approaching tube train but no welcome light rolled into the station. Simon expected the rush of air that accompanied a train but there was no sudden gust, only a disgusting smell as though someone had dumped a pile of rotting meat on the platform. "'Oh, what is that smell? It's appalling!' Simon tried hard to breathe through his mouth, fingers pinching his nose. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. At least the nasal twang of his clamped nose hid the fear in his voice. I'm scared, Simon. It's okay, I'm here. Simon gave Marnie a squeeze, projecting a bravery that he didn't feel. He clutched her shoulder to stop his hand from shaking. The rumble stopped and the smell grew stronger. Something growled in the darkness and a warm breath rolled across their faces. Beads of sweat stood out on Simon's forehead, sending trickles of liquid terror into his eyes. I say there, this is in poor taste. If you mean to frighten us so we lose the bet, then that's a rotten thing to do. Simon's voice wavered as he called into the shadows. Nothing replied. Where's your bag? Simon hissed into Marnie's ear. By the bench. Marnie scrabbled across to the bench and dumped the contents of her bag onto the platform. The metallic clink of torches hitting tiles sounded louder than thunder in the silence. A torch was pushed into his hand. Simon fumbled with the switch, but the torch was knocked out of his hand. Warm breath blew in his face and he fought the urge to gag against the stench of death and decay. A claw raked across one cheek and he yelped. Something warm and wet dripped down his face. Blood. Marnie screamed and Simon lashed out with one arm. The back of his hand connected with something solid. Were those... Scales? Scales? The thing moved. Simon fell forward and landed on his chest. One outstretched arm collided with the missing torch. He snatched it up, pushed himself onto his side, then pressed the switch on so that a cone of white light tore open the darkness. His mind refused to recognise the hulking beast before him, all sharp angles and wicked teeth. Yellow eyes burned in the torchlight, something approaching malicious intelligence in the depths of its gaze. A primal instinct, once locked away in the depths of Simon's mind, kicked his fear aside and spurred him to his feet. He brandished the torch as if it were a broadsword. Get away! Baring its teeth, the beast lunged. Without thinking, Simon pushed himself forward and thrust the torch at the creature. It connected with a dull thud, the light sputtering as the creature recoiled. Marnie screamed again as the platform plunged into darkness once more. Simon smacked the torch with his hand and flicked the switch back and forth. But the torch was dead. Where's your torch, Marnie? It won't switch on. Claw sank into Simon's leg and he cried out, the pain blossoming upward towards his hip as blood seeped into the fabric of his trousers. The creature tried to pull him towards it, but a thud sounded in the darkness. The beast's grip relaxed and Simon scooted backwards towards the wall. Marnie, I'm here. More thuds filled the air, accompanied by screeches that grew more pained. Simon's searching fingers found Marnie and he pulled her close. She clung to him, and they listened to the sounds of a scuffle down the platform. An unearthly wail, part war cry and part death song, echoed throughout the station. Simon remembered the stories of screams heard all the way along at Holborn. Liquid spattered Simon's face, and he ran his fingers across the viscous mess that wasn't his own blood. That was something else. A final, meaty thud, followed by the sound of something wet being torn apart, punctuated the scuffle. Simon held his breath, by in the silence, is it over? asked Marnie after a few moments. The station lights flickered as they came back on. A heap of scaly flesh lay further down the platform. Were it not for the claws on the limb that had been torn off, Simon might not have recognised it for the creature he'd seen in the torchlight. Black blood, thick as tar, covered the tiled floor and dripped over the edge of the platform. A figure stood beside the remains, the adverts on the wall now visible through her fading form. The smell of lotus blossoms masked a stench of gall. Your. "'Her, aren't you?' asked Marnie, her eyes wide as she stared at the figure's elaborate headdress. The figure nodded. "'What is that?' The planchette reappeared on the board beside Simon and skated from letter to letter. He read the message to Marnie. "'There are things in the tunnel that should not be woken.' "'Did we wake it up?' asked Marnie. The figure nodded again. "'Is that why you said we weren't safe?' asked Simon. The figure faded from view, but the lotus blossom lingered in the air. ''Thank you, Princess,'' said Marnie. ''Be safe,'' replied the board. ''Where will you go now?'' asked Simon. ''Sleep again.'' The planchette moved to goodbye. The lights grew stronger until steam rose from the remains and the couple watched the heap of flesh disintegrate into dust. A gust of wind rushed along the platform, taking the dust into the tunnels. Simon looked down, expecting to see a gory wound on his thigh. ''My leg!'' He pointed at the torn, bloody fabric and the untouched skin beneath. Marnie poked her fingers through the holes in his trousers, brushing his leg. A shiver ran through Simon and he wasn't sure if it was Marnie's touch or the sudden absence of pain. Did she heal it? She must have done. Simon guided Marnie's hands away from the blood-soaked rips and pulled her into a hug. What do we do now? asked Marnie, her words muffled by his jacket. We'll put that board away for one thing. Marnie wriggled out of his grasp to pack the board and planchette back into her bag. Then she sat on the edge of the bench, looking less wilful than earlier. Should we admit defeat? A waft of lotus blossom drifted past them. Simon smiled. I don't reckon anything else is going to bother us, do you? Plus it's 2am now, only four more hours to go. Fancy winning £30? Marnie grinned. Simon sat on the bench and put his arm around her. She snuggled closer and was soon snoring softly. Simon whispered another thank you to their spectral protector. Despite his bravado, he kept his eyes fixed firmly on the mouth of the tunnel. He couldn't always rely on help, and he wanted to be ready. Simon never wanted to be blasé about the dangers in the darkness again. And that is the end of Midnight Screams at Holborn. That story appears in my collection, Black Dog and Other Gothic Tales. And basically... I got the idea from the fact that I've always been fascinated by forgotten or abandoned tube stations and there are loads of them. One of the more famous ones you'll have seen in a lot of films actually and that's Aldwych which is actually on a spur line from Holborn and they used that one as the Strand station in V for Vendetta if you've seen that film and it tends to get used for various bits of filming. And if you've ever read Neverwhere Down Street which the, the characters end up going into is another one of the abandoned stations. And the British Museum had one, and it's always fascinated me what happened to it. And It was the fact that basically they ended up closing it because it didn't get enough foot traffic because more people were using the stations either side, so they closed it. And I remember reading up on it because I'd had a weird experience on the Tube where I'd been on the Central Line heading, heading east, I think it was, and we'd pulled out of, I think it's Tottenham Court Road. And then before you get to Holborn, that's where the British Museum station used to be. And with the train had sort of just suddenly stopped in the, in the middle of a tunnel, the way that it often does. But it was, I suddenly realised that I could still see the wall of the tunnel out one window of the train, but then I couldn't see anything out the other window of the train. And I realised we're well, actually sitting in the British Museum station. So I was reading up on it and I discovered that there was actually this dare literally in the paper saying, oh, you know, it's this haunted train, sort of tube station. If anyone's willing to spend a night there, you can win £30. And then, because there's this rumor that there's this Egyptian princess who supposedly one of the mummies is in the British Museum, and she would wander up and down from the museum to the station. Quite why nobody ever knows, but that's a side issue. And something about that just really appealed to me, and I thought, oh God, I wonder what would happen if if somebody had done the the, the dare. And nobody ever actually claimed the money. And then, as it turned out, in 1933, they closed the they closed the station because it wasn't being used enough. But that was really what inspired the story of this urban legend of this Egyptian princess ghost in the station. And then obviously then I tied that to the the actual fact about the, the £30 bet that one of the newspapers was running to see if anyone would spend the night there. Incidentally, there was also allegedly an Egyptian mummy on board the Titanic when it sank. That has actually never been substantiated and it's just another one of those urban legends. But there's loads of stuff attached to the, like Egyptian coffin lids and All this kind of stuff that the British Museum have and you can imagine what people are like with anything related to ancient Egypt. The minute you mention ancient Egypt, people start thinking of curses. But anyway, so that was where the story came from. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you are interested in more gothic tales with kind of a historical bent, then Black Dog might be for you. A lot of the stories, as I say, are set in other eras. Like we've got the Victorians, we've got the Second World War, we've got sort of like the 18th century with the Black Dog which is the title story of the collection. That one obviously is very heavily based on folklore. So there is quite a lot of folklore throughout the entire collection. And the link to where you can find it online is in the show notes. But I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you have a very, very, very Merry Christmas. And we will be back next week when we get back to the regular schedule of folklore. And I will be taking you through the folklore of a particular New Year custom called First Footing that you might want to give a go. So as I say, have a lovely, lovely time over Christmas. Don't eat too many sweets. I made that mistake once, not doing that again. And I will see you soon. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!